This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Uh, man, we're so glad you're here with us. Uh, our, our hope over anything else is that Jesus will be seen. Um, not, not any one of us, not, not any production, but that more than anything else, uh, we will see and know Christ. We absolutely 1,000% believe that if we encounter the living God, our lives will not be the same. You just don't see anyone in the Bible who encounters God truly and then walks away the same. They're absolutely different because of who God is. And so that's our prayer and hope more than anything else. Uh, we are going to give our lives to that end. And so uh, we're, we're glad that you're here. Um, no matter where you are in your faith, if you have trusted Christ, if you've not, if you're questioning, if you're doubting, we talked last week, the Bible meets us in our doubts and in our insecurities and in our questions, meets us right where we are, and it's okay just to take a step from where we are. Uh, and so know that that's, that's awesome, and we're, we are glad you're here. You're welcome. There's always a seat at the table here uh, with us. And so uh, let's pray before we, uh, we, we look at God's word and just ask him to speak to us. We believe the Bible is God's word. It's living and active, um, and we want to hear from God more than anything else. And so I uh, just want to invite you to, to pray with me that God would speak to us through his word. God, there are so many voices that we hear every day. Today, right here, right now, um, there's voices and distractions and um, we hear enough of those voices. I hear enough of my own voice. Uh, we just want to hear from you and what you have to say. Um, so God, would you speak to us? If there's anyone here who's never heard your voice, God, may today be a new day uh, in that. God, if there's someone who, hasn't, who just hasn't heard you um, or experienced your presence in a while, um, God, meet with us here. For your glory, for our good, for the good of the city and the world, uh, we ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to be kind of all over the Bible a little bit today. I'll tell you that up front. It's probably not the most typical way we'll do, uh, we'll preach. Uh, typically we'll just take like one passage and one uh, section and work through that. Uh, but today's a little more uh, of a cursory look at, at the topic of community. Um, and so we'll be in Genesis some, we'll be in um, Acts and Ephesians and Hebrews, so we'll, we'll be all over. Um, there, there's Bibles, if you don't have some, there's some out, out on the table as you come in. Um, you don't have to go get one now, but we just want you to know they're there. Always take a Bible. If you don't own one, take one home with you, and we want you to have it. If you have a friend, a roommate, a coworker who doesn't have one, take it and give it away. Uh, we will always have Bibles on hand to make sure that anyone and everyone can have a Bible uh, if they so want one. Uh, and so... Uh, we'll, we'll start in Genesis chapter 2, uh, the very beginning, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, I want to I read this quote for, to you that I found in an article this week um, that I was just reading. Um, I, I have this subscription that like takes books and summarizes them into like four pages. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a great book starter. Anybody else a great book starter, but not a great book finisher? Um, I have this growing stack. There's a Japanese word. This has nothing to do with the sermon, by the way. Um, there's this Japanese word called sundoku uh, that, that means the growing stack of books that grows faster than you're able to read them. Um, I definitely have one of those stacks of books that I just, I'm like, I need a new book, and I, I don't know why. Um, I have a problem. But, um, so I got this, this subscription, again, nothing to do with the sermon. I got this subscription that summarizes books into four pages, and so I'm like flying through books now. It's fantastic. I'm not really reading the book, but you know, it's fine. It's whatever. Um, so I got this quote from a book. It says, friendship is a lot like food. We need it to survive. Friendship is a lot like food. We need it to survive. I read that and I was like, 
Yeah, I, I, think, I think I can get on board with that. Their, their point is uh, you need food in your body for your well-being, for your physical well-being, uh, for your emotional well-being, uh, for health and life, you need food. And, and they, would, they would explain that the same way that we need food to survive, we need people. We need friends to survive. Studies are increasingly showing that even though we are connected to to people in some form or fashion, although digitally a lot of times, 24-7, that our culture has never been as isolated or lonely in the history of our country. That we're more alone and, and, and pulled away from people, real connection, than ever before. Than ever before. And so it's, it's attributing to depression and to suicide. It's attributing to poor eating habits to poor physical health, that, that people are connecting heart disease to loneliness. And, and so we see all these things that, that loneliness is moving people towards misery and destruction in their life. That they're miserable. They hate it. Now, I don't think that, um, that I have to really do a whole lot of convincing here to, to make the point that no one wants to feel alone. Like, no, no one is like, man, I'd really like to go through college and make zero friends. Like, that would be a really good, good day for me. Uh, no one wants to have an office where they just don't have any friends there or go home and spend every night by themselves and the weekends by themselves and just, like, not a single one of us. I don't think I have to do a whole lot of convincing to, to grip us there that nobody wants to feel alone. We all want to feel like, man, we belong. These are my people. This is my place. Like, they know me in my mess and they still love me. Like, everybody wants that across the board. And when we don't have that connection, that community, that I'm not going anywhere no matter what community, then we move towards loneliness and isolation and really just destruction in our lives. And the reason is because we are physically created for community. Like we are physically wired and we need community in our lives. Friendship is a lot like food. We need it to survive because we need one another. Like we need each other to survive and be the healthiest person we can be physically, emotionally, spiritually. In Genesis chapters one and two, it's, it's, the, it, it's the description of God creating everything. And so it says that God created the heavens and the earth. Before anything existed, the Bible teaches that God was there. And that he created everything in, in, by, by just speaking the word and it happened. So day one, God says, let there be light. And light crashes into the existence of the world. Now, I don't know what it's going to be like in heaven, um, but I wonder, and, and no clue. I'm just curious, like, do we get to kind of look backwards? Because I would love to see how this whole thing began. Like, I would love to see light entering into darkness where light had never been before. That has got to be the most phenomenal sight in the world, right? And so God speaks and light crashes into the world and God steps back and he looks at what he made and he says, it is good. And then he continues in day two and it says that he separated the waters from the waters. He creates this atmosphere where there's a place for hosp hospitable living. And he creates an atmosphere and then it says that he gathered the waters together in this form and he pulled the land out of the water. Like land came up out of the water. And so beaches and mountains and, and trees and all this stuff, God just forms up out of the water. Like I can't even fathom what that would look like. But the, he starts to shape this land and this place that he, that he calls earth. And he, he steps back and he says, it is good. Like the, the land, the, the, the globe, the planet, it's good. All the vegetation, all the fruit, all those things, it's good. 
But that's not enough. God, in the next day, God moves to the heavens and to the, to the solar system and he starts to create the sun and the moon and he, he tilts it on the axis and he spins it at the right speed and he, he has every billion upon billion upon billions of stars and the ones that our telescopes have not even discovered yet, God created those and he named each one of them and he puts it out there and he looks at everything and he says, it is good. I mean, he's just, he's just killing it, right? This creation, this, this thing that he's, he's forming, right? And then he moves on to the living beings. It says that God creates the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. So you've got the, you've got the dolphin and you've got the whale and you've got the parakeet and you've got the, the dove and all these things, right? Like God, in his creativity, creates all of this out of nothing. You and I, we work off of inspiration, right? Like, oh man, that inspires me. I'm gonna create this. God creates it out of his own creativity. That blows me away. Right, like when I think about flavors of food, all of those flavors God thought about, all of these animals, God God just designed, blows me away that God creates all this. And so he creates the fish and the birds and he steps back and he says, it is good. Everything that he's creating is perfect and it's good. And then he moves to the animals on the land, the giraffe and the lion and the tiger and the bears and all those things, right? Um, and he creates all of these animals and he, he puts them out there with all of their different shapes and sizes and sounds and all. And he says, it is good. Like God is creating this world in a perfect, good rhythm. And then the, the story, it shifts a little bit. If you read just Genesis 1 and 2, the cadence, the, the rhythm of the creation, it changes beat just a bit when God gets to humanity. And it says that he takes from the dust of the earth and he forms and he fashions man. And he breathes life into Adam. For the first time, God spends this, this detail on Adam and he, he fashions Adam just how he wants and he puts Adam in the middle of the garden and he steps back and he looks at his creation and he says, it is not good. For the first time in this created world where everything is perfect and good, he creates Adam and he puts him out there and he goes, that's not good. Something is off. Something is not right about creation. Did God mess up? Did he like slip up on Adam? Be like, oh, that's not how that was supposed to look. Like, I don't know what went wrong. But, you know, is, is something broken there? And it's not that anything is wrong or broken. It's that, com- it's, not, it's not complete. His creation of Adam is not complete. See, this is what's not good. In Genesis 2.18, the first time that God says something is not good, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Everything up to this point was good. And then he creates Adam and he puts Adam in the garden and he looks back and he says, well, this is not good because he's alone. He's by himself. He does not have community with someone who is like him, who can connect to him, who can relate to him. That's not good. See, we're created for community. It's wired into who we are. And so why is it not good that man is alone? Like, what's gone wrong with that? Why is it not good for you and I to live in isolation and in lonely lives? See, the Bible teaches in Genesis 1 that we're created for a purpose. We have a unique and specific purpose. And everything works better when it works according to its purpose. For that created object and the creator. I always use, like, my phone as an example, right? So, Apple 
looks great if they create a phone that works like it's supposed to work, right? But if we all have these phones and we're like, this thing doesn't work, it's stupid, right? Like who are we, who are we blaming? Apple, like fix your product, right? Go make a new phone and make it better, you know? And make it to where the glass doesn't break if I drop it on carpet, like that would be great, you know? And so we, we blame the creator of the object. But then if I, if I use this in a way that it's not created to be used, like if I use it as a hammer, that's not gonna go well. The object itself is going to be broken. And so things work best when they work according to the way that they were created, according to their, their purpose. Same thing for people. If there's a purpose in life for humanity, we're going to live life best when we live according to the purpose that we're created for. It's just how things work. Well, God tells us, Genesis 1:27. so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God creates mankind to reflect his image. You and I are created with one purpose, and that is to reflect our creator. We're to be an image as best we can of the one who created us. That's our purpose. That's how we're going to operate best in life when we live according to that purpose, to reflect the image of the one who created us. But go back one verse to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Well, who's God talking to? Like, did he gather up his angels and be like, hey, let's get a consulting team together on how to make man? Like, what should we do? Like, or is he just, is he out of his mind? Like, is he, is he just like multiple personalities? Like, what's going on here? What the Bible teaches is that God, one God, exists in three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. So for all of eternity, God, the one true God, has existed as Father, Son, Spirit. And the Bible teaches that they exist together in perfect love and harmony and community. So the very nature of God is a communal God, which means if we're going to reflect God, if we're going to be his image, we have to be a communal people. Otherwise, we cannot reflect the purpose that God created us for. It's impossible to reflect the image of a communal God in isolation. Therefore, it is not good for Adam to be alone. We hear that a lot with with marriages and weddings, and it's like, oh yeah, this is why you're supposed to get married. But that can't be about marriage. Because if that's just about marriage, then Jesus messed up because he was never married. And Paul messed up in 1 Corinthians 7 by saying that singleness is a gift. And so they must have gone wrong. And so this can't just be about like, oh, you need to get married and then you've arrived. Like then you're complete. That's not what the Bible teaches. This is about community. It's not good for you and me, married or single, male or female, to live life alone. It's not going to go well. It's not going to go well for us and it's not going to reflect a communal God. It's just, it's not. And so we're created for community. It's a Dietrich Bonhoeffer in in his book, Life Together, he says that community is a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace. You know what didn't happen when God creates Adam? Adam didn't like raise the flag of like, hey, something's not right here, God. I think we need another person. Like, God, I'm not feeling so great. What if you created another person? Adam never, like, brought that to God's attention. It was the grace of God to say, hey, that's not going to go well. Let me create somebody for you. Let me create community for you. 
The community we have is a gift of grace from God so that we can live out the purpose that God's created us. Go, after today, just text your friends and be like, hey, thanks for being my friend. I love you. Because it's a gift of grace that God has given you friends. That's a gift. It's not something to be taken advantage of. And so God creates us for community. And at the end of chapter one, it's the first time where God looks at Adam and Eve now, communal, and says, it is very, it's good, it's very good, this creation, it's right. But man, are we bad at community, right? Like, we struggle with real relationships. Like, I'm prone to just be selfish and get annoyed with people and, and to, to abuse people and to really kind of push people down in order to lift myself up. Like, that's what I'm prone towards. Like, we're just not very good at this community thing. And, and so, so what went wrong? Like, what, what happened? Why, why is it not right? So we'll keep going. At the end of chapter 2, we see the perfection of this community, right? It says in verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked, not ashamed. Now, now this is far more, again, not just talking about marriage. This is talking about you have two people in the most vulnerable state possible, and there's no shame and no guilt. There is no conflict in their relationship. The relationship between Adam and Eve was perfect. Like, there wasn't just all this drama that was happening. And the reason is, and that's important to know, the reason that their relationship was good, that there was no shame or guilt, no matter the situation, is because their relationship with God was right. Their eyes weren't fixed on each other and on themselves. Their eyes were fixed on God. They were satisfied and at peace with God, which makes their relationship with each other satisfaction and at peace. The biggest thing to our relationship and community with one another is our relationship and community. If that's not right, neither will this be. If our relationship and our community with God is not at peace, our relationship and community with others is not going to be at peace. Because that's how God designed us. That our focus shouldn't be on each other and on myself. My focus should be on God. And these are a natural outflow of the joy that I have from God. And so that's why they were, they were naked and unashamed. They were at peace with each other in perfect harmony. But then in chapter 3, Satan comes in and tempts them. It invites them to take their eyes off of God and start looking at the world around them. That's what sin is, where we choose ourselves in our own way rather than God in his way. Where we take our eyes off of loving and worshiping God and we start looking around and be like, I really want that instead. Like, I think I know better. God says go that way, but that looks really good, so I'm going to go that way. That's what sin is. And it breaks the relationship we have with God. It fractures, it puts up a dividing of hostility between us and God and immediately relationships with each other changes. So you see in verse 6 of chapter 3, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be eyes, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. You see, we, they walked away from God. They took their eyes off of God, and immediately the way they see each other changes. 
immediately the relationship they have with each other changes. Shame enters the picture for the first time. Guilt enters the picture for the first time. They start pushing each other down in order to lift each themselves up. They start trying to hide from each other and from God because the relationship with God was broken, which broke their relationship with each other. We, we see God comes in, in a couple of verses. God comes and he's walking and he's, he's looking for Adam and Eve. And, and God's not actually looking. He knows, where, he knows where they are. Like God knows where we are. We don't hide from God. But he's looking for Adam and Eve and they're hiding, trying to keep from him. And he's like, Adam, what happened, bro? Did you eat? And Adam's like, no, no, she did it. Mm-mm, that girl over there wasn't me. It was her, right? Which, which gentleman, never a good idea to throw the ladies under the bus. Like not going to go well. So just dating 101, file that away. Like when you get married, like don't do it. It's just not going to end well for you. But that's what he does. He pushes her down in order to make himself look good. Like, no, no, it wasn't me. It was her. And then what does she do? No, it was, it was Satan. It was the devil, right? Like, we start blaming other people in order to lift ourselves up. That's what happens when sin enters the picture. That's what happens with our community. It is we start, we, we gossip because we want to feel good about ourselves. We, we want to we wanna laugh at the expense of other people, Right? We're, we're greedy because we want more. We don't want somebody else to have more than us. And so we're greedy. We hold on tight. We're angry because we didn't get our way. Right? Like, and, and so that's what happens to our relationships with one another. We take our eyes off of God. We have nothing but to fix our eyes on the world around us, namely ourselves. And so now I'm going to use people in order to get what I want. I'm going to push people down in order to lift myself up. That's why relationships are broken. That's what's gone south. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to fix what we broke. Jesus came to lift us up so that we don't have to lift ourselves up. He does it for us. We don't have to step on people to to get a step up because Jesus lifts us up for us and we can be content and satisfied and not dependent on another person. We see in Ephesians chapter two, uh, the message of the gospel and how it affects relationships. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and the chapter two is all about being restored to community. First to the community that we have with God and then to the community that we have with other people. So Ephesians chapter 2, Paul, he says, therefore, chapter verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated, alone from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He says, remember this, that you were separated from God and you were also separated from real community with one another. You were isolated, you were alone, you didn't have what you were created for with God and you no longer have it with one another. He says, remember that. Things were broken, our sin separates. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That word but is such a huge word in the, in the message of the gospel. It changes the tune. It, it turns the corner, right? It's the, it hits the climax. Everything's fallen short. Everything's messed up. But Jesus steps in to fix what we broke. Ephesians 2, 1 says we're dead in our sins. Like we are dead in our sins. We're not attractive to God. 
Like there's nothing about, like how many times do you see something dead and be like, I really would like that. I'm going to go get that and make it mine. Like, no, it doesn't happen. Dead things aren't attractive. Dead things don't move towards anything. Dead, dead things do nothing. We were dead in our sins before God. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. I love this phrase. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were dead and there was nothing attractive about us, we didn't work our way back to God. We didn't make any moves. Even when we were in that state, God's love is beyond anything else and he moves towards us and he makes us alive in Christ Jesus. Not on our works so that we can't boast about it, but purely on the work of Jesus. I mean, I heard, I saw a, a pastor friend in Kansas City, he just posted on Facebook, and he was like, if you're ever sharing your testimony and it doesn't point to how Jesus alone made you alive by faith, that's not a testimony. Our testimonies point to this, to what God did in Jesus to make us alive because we didn't do it on our own. We were broken and separated from God without hope, zero hope done, and Christ steps in. And he restores our relationship with God. He brings us near by his blood. In the Old Testament, it was the death of an animal that, would, that God would say, okay, your sins can be forgiven because that animal died in your place. And now Jesus comes in and he dies in our place in order to give us life and to restore us back to God. But it's not just our relationship with God that Jesus fixes. It then says, he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility that wall that we create with one another because of our sin and our selfishness, Jesus comes and he breaks that down so that A, we have a relationship with God and B, I can have a real relationship with you. We can have real community. I, I, don't, I, I can be humble in front of you because we're all dead in our sins. Like no one is more dead than the other person. Dead is dead, right? And so it's not like, oh, I, I'm dead, but they're really dead and so I can't be friends with them, right? They can't come over here. No, 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 we're all dead and without hope. And so we can be humble with one another. We can sit at the same table with one another because none of us are better than the other person. It doesn't matter what race we are or what socioeconomic status we are or if we have a lot or if we have little or what our story is, our background. Like we can all come together because we are all equally guilty before Jesus in need of his grace. And so the gospel makes me and you be able to look at each other and be like, hey, we're all broken and we need a savior. But it also gives me confidence because Christ lifts me up, I don't have to find my approval from you. I don't have to know, like, man, does, does she like me? Does he like me? Is this going to go well? Because the God of this world has already set his love on me. And so the gospel gives me freedom to be in community with one another. Because my sin can be removed, and I can humbly come before you, and also incredibly confident in who Jesus has made me to be. That's how we can have real community. The gospel fixes what we broke. And so the invitation of Jesus is, man, if you've not trusted Christ, if you've not been made alive by him, come on. Receive the grace. Receive this community. Be brought into the family of God. And if you are a Christian, then the gospel says, hey, live in this community. Live humbly in front of everyone else, but also confident in who Christ has made you to be. That's what the gospel does to restore community. One day Jesus will return and it'll all be made right. Until then, man, it's, still, it's still kind of a mess, right? Like we still struggle because we're not perfect, but we can continue to move forward in this community. 
And so I just wanted to talk briefly um, now on what does that look like? What, is it, what, what should our community with each other look like? If we are in Christ, how should we have relationship? So Acts chapter 2, we see the first form. Jesus ascends into heaven. And what I love about this is he didn't tell them like, hey, you need to get together and you need to have Bible studies and you need to eat dinner together and you need to care for one. Like it was just a natural outflow of their relationship with Jesus. Community is a natural outflow. The gospel creates community. We cannot say yes to Jesus and no to his church. That doesn't make sense to the Bible. In Christ, this is our community. We're we're part of this family. And so this is what that community looked like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So there's three things, and I just want to give some verses that apply to each of these that we see in a Christian community. One is a relationship with God, that our community with each other should cause us to love God more. There should be an upward growth towards him because of one another in our lives. We should have people in our lives that we love Jesus more because they're in our life. Secondly, there's this this communal care There's an inward focus to care for one another in a way that's different than anything else. There's a genuine love for one another. And then third, there's an outward focus as well. where They're they're engaging with their community and everybody is being welcomed and invited in. So up and out, that's the rhythm of Christian community that you see in Acts chapter 2 that we're called. Up with God, in with one another, out with the world around us. Now that's probably not a shock, like, oh no, the preacher just said, like, come to church and be in community and love your neighbors, right? Like, that's not going to surprise anybody. Um, and, and so I was just thinking, like, what are specifics for, I think, our culture today when this commu- in regards to this style of community? Like, what are ways that we probably need to grow more? Um, and, and so with each one, I just wanted to give one, one practical explanation. So um, with our relationship with God, we see that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching that they were centered around the word of God, that their community together, it's centered around this. And I think by and large today, um, a lot of times we just add this in, like maybe as some seasoning on top, but it's not the main course. And what we see in the community of one another is that they were centered around this book, this truth. They were devoted to it because they knew that they needed each other to speak truth and build one another up. Ephesians chapter 4, that's what Paul says again to uh, the church in Ephesus. He says um, that that God has equipped us for this uh, work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And so God has designed that you and I need each other to speak the truth of God to one another so that we can be built up. We have to be that people for one another. We have to speak the truth of God to one another. 
so that we can build one another up. We've got to center around this. So our community groups, our discipleship groups, Bible studies, like we've got to anchor into here the word of God. The second thing that um, I was thinking about is the in. Like how do we do life together? And, and here's, here's what I, I was asking Mike about this and here's what he said and I think it's absolutely accurate. The, the number one thing that kills Christian community is a consumeristic approach to community. Like we're, we're consumeristic with our community. Like we, we, we approach people and relationships as consumers. If it's meeting my needs and if I like it and if it's going well, I'm in. But man, if it's just not really meeting my needs anymore, I'm probably not gonna come. Like I got other things to do and I'm busy. And so she's not doing it for me. And so we take off, right? Like if the music is good, like, yeah, I'm in. But if it's not, like that church down the street has better music. And so I'll move over there until I don't like their music anymore. And so then I'll go over there. Or if the preacher is like, man, he's, he's like, just killing it, just like preaching fire every day. I'm I'm in, but if he's not so much anymore, if it's just not really like hitting me where I like it, like there's another preacher, right? And so we approach church and community as consumers. Like like it's a box of cereal. And when I like the flavor, I'm in, but when I don't like the flavor, ah, you know, I got other stuff to do. And that kills community because community's tough. I mean, it's hard to build real relationship. It takes time. It takes working through the mess together. And if we don't work through the mess, but the second we're like, I don't really like this, we move on, we'll never have community. And it's not just going to affect us, it's going to affect other people. We can't approach it that way. Rather, this is how Paul tells us to approach community. In Romans chapter 15, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Paul tells us that our approach to community cannot be, what am I going to get out of this? Our approach to community has to be, what can I put into this for the good of others? We cannot approach community of, man, what, what is this going to do for me? It has to be, what, what can I do for others? Not to please myself, but to please others. Because Christ, he didn't approach community from that perspective. If he was looking for what he's going to get out of it, he's not coming to any of us. But his interest is our good. And so he pursues us. That's how we approach community. For the good of the other. Hebrews 10, I mean, it, it, it says a similar thing. Um, Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. It says, let us, hold, or, uh, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider, that word is, let us think about it. Let's put forth effort in how can I benefit you. If my community is not, if I don't have literal time and energy thinking of how I can build others up, I'm not doing Hebrews 10, 24. We're called to actively think of how I can encourage, challenge, coach, build people up to love and good works. That's a regular part of our community is to think about that. And then he goes on, he says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I mean, Paul says, hey, don't, don't skip out. Like, don't skip out. I know we're busy. We're all busy. Every one of us, we're busy. But let me also challenge you, there's someone busier than you. Like I know subjectively, I can't possibly see how anything else can get busier, but I promise you, there's always someone busier. 
And so we can just like live in that state of, oh, I'm so busy, I can't do this. Or we can say like, no, I'm going to prioritize what matters most and whatever else doesn't happen, doesn't happen. And Paul's saying, don't neglect the ministry of being together. Look, it matters that you come to worship. It matters that you go to group. Not, not just for yourself, but for others. It's important. Don't neglect that ministry of presence and being there with people to build them up. We have to approach community as a not what can I get out of it, but what can I put into it perspective. That's when we'll have healthy relationships. And the last thing is, is an outward focus towards others. We've got to have an open invitation at the seat of the table. Jesus, or Paul says in Romans 15, 7, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome others. Who, who are you welcoming into your life? The, literally, who's at your table? Who do you eat with? Who do you hang out with? Are there people different than you? Are, are there people who don't know Jesus? Are there people looking for community? When you see the model of Jesus and who had a seat with him, you see the rich, you see the poor, you see the religious, you see the irreligious, you, you, see, you see the clean, you see the dirty, you see everyone has a chance, a seat at the table with Jesus. And then a lot of times I look at my life and it's a lot of people that look like me and talk like me and it's really comfortable to do life with. And yet the the community that God calls us to is a community that is welcoming to anyone and everyone to have a seat at the table in our lives, to eat together, to know each other. I mean, hospitality is tough, right? It's expensive. Hosting people, preparing food, like it is costly, which is why we're reminded to welcome people as Jesus welcomed us because the cost to welcome us into his family was the greatest cost and he paid it in full. And so we're like, yeah, I can sell out some bucks. I can pay the cost for this, just pay the cost for me. Man, one of my favorite quotes I write in a book, love is efficient. Love is efficient. If we want to love people like this and welcome people into our lives, it is not going to be efficient for our schedule. It's going to get messy because people are messy and it's going to be hard and it's going to be good and it's going to honor God well and it's going to welcome people into our lives well. I think that's a challenge for us. Are we centered around the word? Are we committed to the good of others in our community? A contributor community, not a consumer community? And are we welcoming all people into our lives in the same way that Christ welcomed us? That's the community that God designed for us. That's who we need to be here at Austin Life. That's our aim, that's what we're going for. And Christ, the gospel, makes that possible. The, the ways that I would just encourage you here, um, and, and if it's not this church, it's somewhere else, um, I would say commit to a local church. Like be a member somewhere. Like be all in. And if it's not here, that's fine. There's some great churches in Austin, but commit. Because we all need each other and we need to know that when I lean into someone, they're actually going to be there. And so commit, commit in membership. Commit to working with the body, to, to a diverse group of people. Our prayer and our hope and what we will continue to move for is that this is a diverse, multi-generational group of people where you have all ages and races and gender and that we all come together as one family. 
because we all need each other. We all need each other. I look at, I look at my family and says, my kids need college students because they're going to listen to college students different than they're going to listen to me, right? And, and college students need my kids and college students need me and, and I need college students and then we, I need some 55-year-olds in my life being like, Corey, that's stupid. Stop that, right? Because I just don't know what I don't know. We, we need each other so that we can be the, the most rounded and healthy people we can be. And so gather with the body. Go meet people that you would not normally meet. Be in a community group. Like get to know people around a table. Share life together. Be in a discipleship group. I'm willing to bet that if, if you said like, hey, here's a season in my life where I really grew in my faith, I'm betting there was probably one or two or three people that really were challenging you well in that season. Because we just need some people who know our crap and call us on it. Just be like, no, mm -mm. I know what you're doing here. Like, we have to have those people. So, so be in a discipleship. Let us help you form those. Let us help connect you. And the last thing, if we're going to have community, we have to be in this. Everything else will fall apart unless we are abiding in Christ. We have to be here. It is the single greatest thing that will change each of our lives and this church and the city and the world is when God's people meet with God, go out and are changed by him. But if we're not doing this, it's not gonna happen. It's just not. But it all goes together. We need each other. Every single one of us, we all need each other. It matters that you're here. It matters that you're committed. So I want to invite you to, um, let's pray and respond together. Um, just may, maybe there's a, an aspect, part that God was speaking specifically to you. And I, I just want to invite you to sit before the Lord and confess or receive or, or just talk with him about what he has for you and how to respond to his word. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.